Wait, did you hear? <gasps> no. We're diving into the juiciest celebrity profiles of all time. I'm Beatrice Hazelhurst. And I'm Ivana Ryder. This, this is Uncover Girl. Girl. Sweet Ago. Oh, we're so happy to be back in your ears. We know it's been so long. I know. And goodbye to 2023. Oh, I'm, I'm not interested in her. I'm not interested. I think it, it's got, it's one of the most chaotic years of my life in hindsight. I mean, oh, my God. We picked up and went to Europe on a whim. Like sort of intense personal growth, but not the fun kind. Not the kind where it's like, I'm that was forced upon you born in the fires sort of is how exactly. I'm feeling exactly I mean your bachelorette there was a lot of wedding prep there was a lot of wedding talk oh yeah and a, and a lot of the some of the most cherished memories of my life happened this year beautiful beautiful moments that I'll remember forever bachelorette being one of them my my family and Steven's family meeting for the first time and this like beautiful weekend in the midwest which is now where I'm based this is also our first First ever recording, not in the same room, I know, hugging, feel- clutching each other. <laughs> Do you feel the energy shift? I, I like know. it. I'm I'm liking it. I have to say, we both showed up here in matching red sweaters. So classic us. Of course, as we insist upon always doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah, we have to be in lockstep. Otherwise, what are we doing? What makes sense? Nothing. Nothing. But I'm loving it because this feel, I've missed you so much already. I know that's so silly because we've been apart for like technically to like a week and a half, two weeks, 10 days, whatever it may be. But it feels like a lifetime and I find myself truly missing you. Sorry, mic down. I feel the same. I miss you so much. It's so weird not knowing that your like visit is impending. You were just a, a forever force. My wife. But the remote feels kind of more formal in a way that I like. I'm definitely showing up here as a professional meeting with another professional. Exactly. It's like hair has been done, coffee in hand, Zoom appropriate top is on. I'm into it too. I'm into it too. I'm in the basement, which like this is actually the most studio-y studio I've ever been in. It's like a Midwestern basement, which I don't know if you're familiar, but is a fortress. Nothing could penetrate this. Sound like bomb shelters, right? <laughs> they are. I mean, they're meant for tornadoes and snow and flood. Like you go to the basement when there is a some sort of weather, a blizzard. This is where you go. I feel like we have to just jump right into your suburban existence. You're cosplaying like Stepford Wives. I really am Betty Draper of Mad Men at this time because every week Stephen leaves to the big city of Chicago to work 12 hours a day, hardworking man. And I am in the home with hobbies and dreams. It's wild over here. I have to say, I have taken numerous long walks, some with Holly, never to stumble upon a single soul outside. What? It's, there's no one here. There's no one out. Everyone is in their homes. Wait, are you in a cul-de-sac? I'm I'm in a suburban neighborhood. There are no sidewalks. It is just street and houses. Um, I'm going to the Wisconsin Athletic Club, my new gym. 
Oh Who is my the god. Wisconsin Athletic Club. I've heard great things. It's divine. It's divine. It's bananas what you can get out here in the suburbs. Sauna, steam room, basketball court, pool, everything you could ever dream of, like a million squat racks. It's like $25 a month. <laughs> I think I think Equinox just went up and I'm now paying like $472. Yeah. <laughs> Every week. To attend just to see Wade Kinsella from Heart of Dixie every single session and never say a word to him. You've seen him a lot, yes. And he comes up to me every time in some way, shape, or form. He's like, Are you done? What's going on? We- oh my god, we had a terrible run in recently where I was using a machine. Oh no, we were walking towards the machine at the same time, but I was already set up there. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, I've already. I've already set it up. And he was like, no, 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 no worries. So he proceeds to go over and do some like very niche type of exercises. You know, when you have to wait for a machine and you're just like truly at your own whim. Like, what Yeah, you're doing like calisthenic, like (laughs) you're like picking up a kettlebell and like swinging it over your head. (laughs) Full gymnast, Simone Biles, like just flips on the on the soft mat. No, so he was just doing some kind of like stretching for a very long time. Like I had a full four sets. So so he was really just hanging out. So another man approached me and said, hey, are you finished? And I was like, yeah, yeah, all done. The man walks away to get his drink bottle and Wade Kinsella comes back over. Oh, no. I just I gave I, it away. I just gave it away. I'm so sorry. I thought that you had, you know, changed directions and you were doing something. I'm so like, and then. I was like, when am I going to tell this man that I've had a crush on him for like 15 years? You know who I'm talking about, right? How of course be? I know who you're talking about. Yes, yeah. yes. I, me and you were the only two people who watched that show, it feels like. Okay, if anyone out there watches that show, let us know. It's by Josh Schwartz, starring Rachel Bilson. Actually, it's a great show to start. Jamie King. For a new one. Jamie King is in there. But it's basically Rachel Bilson leaving the big city to go down to like Mobile, Alabama my story my life it is such a trope in all these movies it's like the big city girl goes to live a small town life i do feel like i'm gonna learn a lot of lessons here i hate to say it fiance never home working too hard someone who owns a christmas tree farm might just be hanging about i <laughs> telling you to leave it all behind and run away i know it's I, i'm afraid to listen to her music here it feels like oh taylor Taylor. Thanks, I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in. No, no, no. We'll tease it now. We'll tease it now. Because okay. we've already teased it. We've already told you that this is take two. This, this is take two. Is, this was supposed to be our last episode of the season. And it was a perfect bow tie. It was the time 2023 person of the year. It was Taylor's first big profile. And I want to say like what? Like half a decade? Like yeah. Really and it was a bookend. We started our season with Taylor. And we were yeah. going to end it with Taylor. It pains me to think about. And... Uh, there was an audio glitch and we lost it all, which I don't think has actually happened to us in a very, very long time. Like we've had issues, but we've never just lost straight audio like that. I'm sorry if season two came to a somewhat abrupt end with Zac Efron, but we just didn't have it in our in our hearts to re-record Taylor. No. And actually, now that you say that, what a fitting end to 2023, number one. And yes. two... That is also how 2023 began, because the last episode we lost like that was Leo, our very first podcast episode. Yeah. So it does feel vaguely full circle in many ways. We had the opportunity to do a different profile to kick off 2024. But because 
I think last year was so tumultuous. It just had so many ups and downs that you had to ride out. And the theme of this profile is really overcoming adversity to rise again, like a phoenix from the ashes. It just felt like it was kind of tailor or nothing and we needed to do this. Yeah, it felt essential that we return. And on that note, I feel like I... No, no, I've gone back and forth with you about this because it's a little bit TMI to share. And uh, your encouragement truly has been my guiding light and North Star. I would never do this without you or share this without you. But then I thought about it and I was like, actually, there's not a single ago I wouldn't sit with, need any hands clasped and talk about this with regardless. So the end of last year and also in our last Taylor Swift episode, I revealed some kind of more personal news. It sounds like a... What is it? This sounds like an engagement announcement. It does. Or like a sort of like an Oprah sit down. Were you silenced? <laughs> I got pregnant at the end of last year. And this, and because I've been a little bit devoid of inspiration recently, this continues to be my inspiration. So December, I found out I was pregnant and proceeded with an abortion. And uh, it was like a pretty crazy experience because I'm 29 and have been in a long-term relationship and I'm not like 22 living in the big city, little girl tottering around in my stilettos. Like there is an element of like, okay, at home, there are a lot of people who have children at this age. If I wanted to, I could possibly, I mean, I could totally upend my life and move back to New Zealand. And, you know, I, I was truly standing at a crossroads and, um, Chris and I just like decided it was like just not tenable and actually not where we wanted to be right now. Also, I imagined myself at your wedding, eight months pregnant, going <laughs> home at 9 p.m. In a flat, in a flat not. because... Flat shoe? A sandal. <laughs> Get out of here. A Birkenstock? <laughs> I know. But actually, that was, that was the other thing. I just kind of looked in my closet and took stock and was like, my God. Half of this shit is backless. A lot of it is skin tight bodycon. I would say a third is sequins. <laughs> this is just the most impractical wardrobe for a growing person that you could possibly imagine. Like this, it's just enough. But I, my inspiration was really a couple of things during that process. And the first one being, I actually didn't have many girls to turn to who are my age who've had children or have babies and I ended up talking to a girl who I'm not super close with uh who's around 27 28 and has like an 18 month old and she sat me down and I'd already made the decision like I was really ready for like a lot of cliches and platitudes and she just went it is terrible no (laughs) and I was like wait what isn't it like the most beautiful magical experience and she was like Mm, it's it's terrible like all of it and I was like okay 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 I mean she got into the details of the like the postpartum the uh breastfeeding she really like just the the mom guilt where she was like never ends like it's just a constant stream and I already feel that with the cats every time I take a step out of the house so but um it was just such a surprise and so so encouraging and so refreshing to hear someone give it to me so straight and like and just like the the solidarity among women and definitely like the women of our generation specifically in having that responsibility to give it to you straight like she definitely could have given me a different party line or the party line when it comes to having children and instead she was like it's not a hell yes it's a no 
And when she said, look, if you could have given me an extra five, six years, I would take it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know about you, but it's been a lot of my like social media feed recently. It's been a lot of conversations with my friends, like to have or to not have children. And the more open I was about it actually set me free. I think than being isolated in the little bubble of like, what do I do? You've walked through this whole experience with so much grace while there are all these like, I mean, huge sort of life changing questions floating around in the space around you. And I just think one, I feel we're just nothing without our little community of women. And my hats off to that woman for being real with you and making you feel less alone in that moment. And I also think you're doing the same thing right now for all the uggos of which I'm sure there is a large percentage who have had abortions, thought about kids, decided not to have kids, who are currently, well, currently going between the, the two. Yeah, exactly. I agree. There is nothing noble about suffering in silence. And you are unlocking this like huge conversation and making people feel less alone, myself included, so many people included. And um, I think that's really, really big and sort of quietly revolutionary. But no, dude, I have to tell you, because I experienced such an ego death <laughs> during the procedure where I was like, I got to get out of this damn media business. <laughs> Feed in the stirrups. And I was literally like, okay, I am going to be the most fun, upbeat, fun-loving patient they have ever seen roll through this Planned Parenthood. Like, I'm really going to bring it. Feet in the stirrups, but you know, tap shoes on. Like, we're dancing. We're dancing. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I chose not to be sedated. So it was just local anesthesia. So I'm still kind of talking. And the doctor was like, you know, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm a writer. And uh, she goes, okay, well, who do you write for? And Ivana, I realized in that moment, like during my abortion, I was in a small talk cocktail party conversation where I was now once again pitching myself and my resume to this gynecologist. (laughs) It's just like, um, the LA Times, like, have you heard of brushing my hair behind my ears? Like, who me? Like, New York Times? (laughs) In that moment, I was like, I just have to be... I don't know, like uh, an accountant, a a financier. Like I I can't do this anymore. No, I, we need to start introducing ourselves in completely different ways. I know you and I, haven't we both toyed with the idea of just being like, we're artists. But what? (laughs) No further questions. Thank you. But there's always a follow-up question. Of course. Because if if I was to say an accountant, then they would say, what's your specialty? There's just nothing. I would just unfold immediately. I would cave too quickly. Yeah. Like I was lying. I do something much worse. Yeah. (laughs) Way more insidious. I digest trends and spew them out in 1200 words for $300. God. When you put it like that, when you put it like that, no dignity there. Not a scrap of dignity. And I walked out of there. I waddled out and I was like, something's got to change. 2024, we're turning a page. Yeah. Big time. Funniest part of the whole experience, though, has to be calling my sister and telling her I was pregnant and then getting a call from her several days later and her telling me she hasn't slept, she hasn't eaten, she hasn't been able to work. This has affected her so much. (laughs) That is so older sister core of like your stress 
has sat upon my heart in such a way that it no longer beats. And I'm suffering. Yeah. I am suffering. I can only laugh because I am an eldest sister and I absolutely, I know that in my bones. And it's, it's, it's a dark place that we go. The way that you really raise the children beneath you as an older <laughs> sister like but unsolicited I would say no nobody asked me to make a powerpoint presentation on STD and STI awareness but I did I did you did <laughs> I did yes I pres- I said like whoa I've learned a lot like in college and in life generally about like consent and sexual safety and sort of what the real risks are. And I did not get that in my high school education. And so I made a PowerPoint and I sat my sisters down and I was like, okay, everyone, a no's a no. This is how it goes. Like if you're feeling even a little bit off, you have every right to revoke consent. If you've consented to this, you're no one can force you to do anything. Also, I went through all of it and was like, now you're briefed. You've been briefed. Okay, these are lessons that I didn't or hadn't learned in college. It was only because I took a women's health course. If I had not taken it and it changed everything, that's where I first learned about the hormones, which I have ignored since like this year where I'm like, I got to get these girls in check. I read recently, it might have been a tweet, but it was like, isn't it so crazy that women are controlled by the moon? (laughs) I know. I met a woman recently that said if you sat on the beach and really paid attention, you would feel your ovaries going out with the tides and back in with them. Can you imagine you're sitting on the beach and then because the waves are affected by the moon? Yeah, that is slightly too ethereal of an experience for me, I think. That is Sean Mendes in the sand with his guru, rocking back and forth. Tie-dye headband. I don't know <laughs> if he was wearing one. I just, it feels like he was. We grow beards. <laughs> <laughs> because our hormones are so messed up. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Well, speaking of testosterone, you would think that a woman would profile Taylor Swift, but in fact... Time selected a man, but not any kind of man, Sam Lansky, who ghost wrote The Woman in Me by Britney Spears. This is the writer of today's profile, which is Taylor Swift, person of the year. No headline, of course, because, you know, why do you need a headline? No, just just we're jumping straight in. Person of the year, Taylor Swift by Sam Lansky. Um, A little bit more background on him. So he is the West Coast editor of Time, and he has really profiled all the pop girls. I think the man's like... 35 and i mean his his professional trajectory is truly so enviable and insane i think he got his start as like a music critic and then since has interviewed like madonna Nicki minaj adele he's written two hugely successful books and right now sam lansky is with taylor swift in her new york apartment and then goes to an heiress tour and then sees her heiress tour premiere in person so he's really he's that's the full taylor experience no really embedded in a celebrity in a way that i don't even think you can be impartial at that point it's impossible not to see them as god yeah absolutely i mean even attendance of the eras tour i mean is the reason and i want to be upfront about this i want to come forward yeah you got to be transparent i have to be transparent with the listener that as a result of attending the Eras tour with Beatrice, my my dear friend who's sitting across from me now. This is a bigger revelation than the abortion. <laughs> no, don't even. Don't even. But I do have to come forward to say that Taylor Swift was my top Spotify wrapped artist of the year. And that was a surprise to me. That was a shock to me because I would not necessarily classify myself as a Swifty in any way. 
it was after the era's tour that I was like, man, some of these are really fun songs. And I would put them on as I would drive, you know, the red album, my little red Prius. It always starts off with like a color coordination, like the red Prius and the red album, maybe a red lipstick. Suddenly you're in upstate New York with a scarf on running around with Jake Gyllenhaal. Like it's just, it is uh, not your fault (laughs) and (laughs) it's inevitable. And I think that is really the underscoring of this profile. Her having this kind of year, this kind of comeback was inevitable. 2023 was her Jesus year. Like she was 33, like I said, ascending to these kind of heights that beyond like a Springsteen level. And the money. The money. (laughs) She was the first artist to become a billionaire solely on music earnings alone. So if you're thinking about Ariana or you're thinking about a Selena Gomez or Ariana even, they all have their beauty lines. They all like, you know, Rihanna obviously has Savage Expanti. Like there are numerous business ventures that are making those women bank. But Taylor Swift has only ever had the music. And my God, she really pulled it in this year. I think she's on track to make $4 billion from the heiress to her overall, which is tough to really process, um, especially when the heiress to her film alone made, yeah, of early December, it had made a quarter of a billion dollars. Oh, my God. The movie version of her concert. And, yeah, she can kind of do no wrong, even though there were plenty of bullets that came her way from dating accused racist Maddie Healy to um, a fan dying at one of her shows in uh, in Brazil. Nothing kind of really seemed to stick. She then re-recorded 1989, released in October, and some fans basically said that it was like inferior to the original and that it was like underthought and sloppily recorded. I, take- I did not see that. But not, like nothing has stuck, which is a-, a testament to her power. And now here we are probably less than a year, nine months since she broke up with Maddie Healy and she's currently with Travis Kelsey. So he's on the Kansas City Chiefs. So just leave it there. I, I watched the game on Christmas Day. I watched the game, Beatrice, and I saw her in the crowds in a little plaid skirt with red lip on on Christmas Day. And her being courtside to her prom king boyfriend playing on Christmas Day, it was all too much. And me being in the suburbs watching this, surrounded by family eating chocolate chip cookies, I was like, woo, whoa. Oh. All American living. <laughs> the simulation at work. But yeah, so she, I mean, people are predicting a Travis Kelsey engagement this year. That would be huge. But there's something I like about them both in that they they aren't or they weren't very cool. Like you can tell as teenagers, they weren't very cool. No, I, I agree. And, and you can kind of see it. You can see it in the way that she speaks. Oh, yeah. yeah, we... Talking about metal. Uh, metal? There's a quote in this profile where she's talking about Travis and she was like, he put me on his podcast, which I thought was metal as hell. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. People were quick to point out that like metal is not really slang. It's not in the cultural vernacular right now. You can say punk. You could say fun. Yeah, you you can say fun. (laughs) I was also talking about the Horcruxes, which is one of the real standout quotes here, where she's just sort of using pop culture, but in the strangest way possible. In the same way that when Beyonce sings about dancing in a club with her friends, like Beyonce hasn't been in a club with her friends since, I don't even know, 2008? Earlier. Earlier, probably, right? 2001. 2001. I don't know if Beyonce has ever been in a club with her friends. But renaissance it's all over there like dancing 
putting my day job it's like you girls don't know about these things you haven't quit a thing in your life yeah i know virgo core i think what you're hitting on here is that the millennial element is so strong all of her references the things she likes are just so distinctly millennial it's it's a boomerang instagram story energy and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i mean there's not a lot of like i would say keeping with the times or keeping it young it's like unashamedly i am of this generation this era if you will and i'm i'm okay with it i mean a lot of people would feel somewhat embarrassed to compare times in their life to horcruxes of course. No. And why would she? When you have $4 billion, what do you have to feel embarrassed about? <laughs> Not only $4 billion, Ivana, some of the most insane people on the planet came to comment for this article. So before we get into it, I just wanted to like start this up top. The secondary sources quoted in this piece include Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac fame, Phoebe Bridges of Boy Genius fame, Greta Gerwig, of Barbie fame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really breaking it all down. Shonda Rhimes, Grey's Anatomy, Bridgerton, the show Scandal. To, Scandal, the showrunner to end them all in Hollywood. And then Lucian Grange, who is the CEO of Universal Music, also the father of Sophia Ritchie's husband. Right. I know. So all the biggest things that happened in 2023, her wedding being among them. It's somehow all connected spiderweb to Taylor. Yeah. So it starts thus. Taylor Swift is telling me a story. And when Taylor Swift tells you a story, you listen because you know it's going to be good. Not only because she's had an extraordinary life, but because she's an extraordinary storyteller. This one is about a time she got her heart broken, although not in the way you might expect. So Sam is in Taylor's New York apartment with her and she's taking him back to a time when she was 17. She had booked the biggest opportunity in her career so far, which was a highly coveted opening spot for country superstar Kenny Chesney on tour. And then she came home to find her mom, Andrea, weeping on the steps of her family home. And Taylor was like, I thought it was some sort of family emergency. And then Andrea reveals that uh, because Kenny Chesney's tour was sponsored by a beer company, Taylor was now like too young to join. And Taylor says, I was devastated. And then she fast forwards. So some months later at Swift's 18th birthday party, she sees Kenny's promoter and he hands her a card that reads, sorry, you didn't get to come on tour. I want to make it up to you. And with the note is a check. It's more money at that point than Swift had ever seen in her life. I mean, she was able to pay her band bonuses. She was able to pay for tour buses. It was the money that let her fuel her dreams, she says. So... The reason why I think Sam gives so much ink to this is because Taylor is able to create a narrative arc like no one else. It's like a story that has everything. It took only 30 seconds, but it's got redemption. It's got a protagonist that discovers new happiness despite challenges. Like he's just talking about the fact that she's able to create this vivid and sensory story out of what is kind of technically someone doing a nice thing for her. I mean, it's it was not that big of a deal, but it just felt like the stakes were so high. That's the magic of her songwriting. It's her ability to weave a story and make a day in high school life seem like a do yeah. or die. Her ability to create stakes is her talent. 
because that's what we connect to so much is the drama. Like we live for the drama and actually so does she. But she talks to uh, Sam about the fact that she's like always overcoming adversity. Like that is her skill. That's her lifeblood. She says, I've been raised up and down the flagpole of public opinion so many times in the last 20 years. I've been given a tiara, then had it taken away. (laughs) (laughs) Is that just not testament to everything we've just been saying? Like the drama of I've been given the tiara and had it taken away. It's always a mix of aspirational and real life where she finds a way to speak to the every woman and and make it feel like she lives the same life that everyone that's swiping on Tinder and getting ghosted does. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. But she says, you know, now it feels like the breakthrough moment of her career is happening at 33. For the first time in my life, she says, I was mentally tough enough to take what comes with that. This is her story, Sam writes. Even if she's now so high, it's hard to believe that she was ever low. It is Mm -hmm. hard to believe that she was anything other than who she is right now at this point in time. And then this year, something shifted, he says. To discuss her movements felt like discussing politics or the weather, a language spoken so widely it needed no context. She became the main character of the world and if you're skeptical consider it how many conversations did you have about taylor swift this year how many times did you see a photo of her while scrolling on your phone hundreds god i was even looking at a rolling stone recap of their most liked photos and about four of them four of the ten were taylor swift errors to her pictures if that really puts it into perspective Um, oh yeah and the tour was all over my tiktok i was getting served the videos of little girls getting the tickets and crying their eyes out endlessly and her impact as a result of this is unreal so informing her pact with amc for the heiress movie she gave the theater chain its highest single day ticket sales in history there were uh, 10 college classes devoted to her including one at harvard friendship bracelets traded by fans at concerts became such a hot accessory one line in a song caused a 500 percent increase in sales at craft stores Keeping Michaels afloat. Joanne's, thank God. And this is where I think Sam really brings it home. He writes, she is the last monoculture left in our stratified world. And when we recorded this episode the first time around, I kind of broke it down in the sense of will and grace, which is so often credited for normalizing gay people in a time of like immense homophobia like the late 90s and that was because there were three channels and at 8 p.m like you had a choice like will and grace or 60 minutes you know because we used to watch the same things listen to the same music and be obsessed with like the same three celebrities that was our talking point and that's what culture revolved around and now she is the last one that we can all connect to that we all know like our parents know who taylor swift is yeah I don't think my parents know who Selena Gomez is. Truly. I don't. Yeah. We just don't have that same type of fandom. Like there's no Leo mania now. Mm, no, um, no, no, no. Right? The fact that she has managed to conjure the same frenzy that a 20 year old Leo did in 1997. I mean, my God. And for so impressive. long, the millennial fans who grew up with her may have seen her on her first tour and paid thousands of dollars to see her decades later now on the era's tour it's insane to me now that seven-year-olds are obsessed with her i'm like how did you guys find out how'd you find out well who told you about this (laughs) but sam writes 
it's hard to see history when you're in the middle of it and harder still to distinguish Swift's impact on the culture from her celebrity, which emits so much light, it can be blinding. But something unusual is happening with Swift without a contemporary precedent. She deploys the most efficient medium of the day, the pop song, to tell her story. Then Swift says, this is the proudest and happiest I've ever been and the most creatively fulfilled and free I've ever been. Ultimately, we can convolute it all we want or try to overcomplicate it, but there's only one question. Here she adopts a booming voice. Are you not entertained? Full body. The chills I get because Mike, she knows exactly what she's doing. And here's where we shift. Sam is at Taylor's show. He's with 70,000 other people having what some might call a religious experience. Her fans, he says, are singularly passionate, not just in the venue, but also online. They analyze clues, hints, and secret messages in everything from her choreography to her costumes. Some deliberately planted, others not. One viral tweet noted that Taylor Swift fans are the modern day equivalent of those cults who would consistently have inaccurate rapture predictions like once a month. It is it is true. I mean, you and I are not Swifties, but in that in that stadium, it was impossible not to feel a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And that is only what I can imagine, you know, mega churches and evangelical religion feels like. And you're all looking up towards yeah. something greater, something bigger. It was spectacular. It was a night I will remember. Whether you like her or hate her, to see her live is, yeah, a singular experience. And very different than, I would say, the the other massive record-breaking tour this summer of Beyonce, where Beyonce is not speaking a word sort of on stage. Beyonce is an artist, a director, a creator of worlds. Taylor is talking to her fans and saying, I'm humbled. This has been the best summer of my life. And you believe her. She's talking to us and making things personal. She's talking about her life and where she was and how the song means a lot to her. And it makes it feel like she is a friend, someone that you know personally. And her songs are so confessional that it it all reinforces that feeling. Like Taylor is always, always accessible. She makes yeah. it of being accessible. And I think that really dates back to her being like the uncool kid at school, which she talks about at length all the time. She reaches for connection in a way that few other artists do. They want to maintain that distance because they don't they don't break the fourth wall, right? No, it's like a character. Yes. She said, I knew this tour was going to be harder than anything I'd ever done before by a long shot. So each show is 180 minutes, 40 plus songs from at least nine albums, 16 costume changes, pyrotechnics, an optical illusion in which she appears to dive into the stage and swim. <laughs> there was real moments there where I was like, Ivana, for one, I'm tired. I want to sit down while we're watching the show. And two, I think we peed maybe like three times. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Ate like five to seven chicken tenders. Yeah. The, the woman didn't go to the bathroom once. I don't understand how. And also because she has to be drinking water. She's sweating it out. Is that what it is? I don't know. But she, if, if you saw the, like the comparisons from the first show in like Glendale, Arizona to the last one, which I want to say was in LA, she lost so much weight. That makes, I mean, it like for cardio and I know she gets into her like training protocol here, but insane to think of her running on a treadmill, singing the entire set list. For six months in advance to the Ayers tour, even, even hitting the stage, 
She ran fast for fast songs and then slowed to a jog or fast walk for slow songs while she sung the entire song out loud. And then her gym, Dog Pound, created a program for her incorporating strength, conditioning and weights. And then she had three months of dance training because she just wanted to get it in her bones and be so over rehearsed that she could be silly with fans. And she talks about how in the past she used to tour like a frat guy, which I guess she was doing shots and being crazy. And then she was like, now she has fully stopped drinking and does not want to experience the show with a hangover, like does not want to know that world. You would pass away. But do you remember her at the Grammys? Like that was the one night I think that she drank, which I'm obsessed with because she was like truly going off. Also makes so much sense. She probably just had one glass of wine. It's like if (laughs) if you take like six months break from drinking and then you have a glass and a half of a Chardonnay, you're on the rafters. Yeah, yeah. Bra swinging overhead. She basically says, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, we're like, how does she do that for five or six nights in a row? Like, what does her schedule look like? And she talks about it. She's like, on her days off, she does not leave her bed except to get food and take it back to her bed and eat it there. She's like, it's a dream scenario. I can barely speak because I've been singing for three shows straight. Every time I take a step, my feet go crunch, crunch, crunch from dancing in heels. I know I'm going on the stage whether I'm sick, injured, heartbroken, uncomfortable, or stressed. That's part of my identity as a human being now. If someone buys a ticket to my show, I'm going to play it unless we have some sort of force majeure. This tour did bring a force majeure where she was forced to reschedule one of her shows when a fan, Clara Benavides Machado, collapsed during her Rio de Janeiro show and then later died. I hear that the stadium was kind of like a pressure cooker, like it was extraordinarily hot in there. Is that what you heard? Like a tin can? Yeah, no water. And I mean, I remember hearing that about SoFi. I saw people with the little um, personal fans because I know during football games, it can get insane in there because there's just no like airflow. There's thousands and thousands of people. And during a heat wave, I actually can't fathom. Yeah. And I was thinking about this and the way that this is addressed. I want to say that this whole situation came out after the story was really written. We have one small paragraph dedicated to this girl's death. He writes, Swift wrote on Instagram that she had a shattered heart and she spent time with the fans' family at her final tour day in Brazil. But that's it. This is just also something that I feel like happens a lot, whether it's crowd crush or, you know, so many people have died during concerts and it's the strangest thing because bands just somehow walk away from that Travis Scott, where it's yeah. yeah Travis Scott the whole crowd situation is wild and I feel like Taylor Swift it's more than a crowd it's also a frenzy in a way Travis Scott I think is unique in the sense that he can really incite that kind of crowd he can really rile them up I mean I was supposed to go to a show back in I want to say 2017 and that was the show that a fan got paralyzed because he allegedly encouraged him to jump from the rafters like he saw him swinging and went i see you over there they're gonna catch you be brave like just do it and then oh like obviously this is a venue oversight there's no personal onus on taylor herself but i do find it funny that it is such a footnote yeah profile when it is you know, an enormously life-alteringly tragic event to have a fan die at a concert. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. So he writes about Taylor's kind of more millennial or earnest songs. Like, do you know, we're never getting back together, like ever. 
And he says that it reminds him of a meme that says, do not kill the part of you that is cringe, kill the part of you that cringes. And that really connects with Taylor. <laughs> every part of you that you've ever been, every phase you've ever gone through, was you working it out in that moment with the information you had available to you at the time? There's a lot that I look back at like, wow, a couple of years ago, I might have cringed at this. You should celebrate where you are now, where you're going and where you've been. I mean, I agree. And I think Taylor Swift is sort of an example of what it is to be really connected with the version of yourself that was in high school, the version of yourself that was a young adult, and really remember the angst of that time, which I often forget until I go back and read an old journal and I'm like, whoa, wow, you were feeling so hard. And this was life or death. And I can't even recall the circumstances like of this friend conflict or whatever might have happened here. Yeah, I remember advice at that time was like, think about it five minutes from now, think about it five weeks from now, think about five years from now. And that felt truly impossible. Yeah, ridiculous. Five years from now. Yeah. Like you're never going to think about this five years from now. And it's like, but I'm thinking about it right now. That's all I can think about. (laughs) You're right. She is so connected in a way that I don't feel like I am. She sees her life in terms of real turning points. Like she sees her life as a narrative arc and she can point to the conflicts. So she talks about it and saying, it's not lost on me that the two great catalysts for this happening, like this success that she's experiencing was getting canceled within an inch of my life in my sanity. The second was having my life's work taken away from me by someone who hates me. Okay. I'll speak to the second one first, which is that her work was bought up by Scooter Braun. Basically, her masters were sold against her will, and the original copies of all of her most precious songs were sold at auction, essentially. And she didn't have control of them anymore, and there was nothing she could do. She was like totally powerless in the process, even with all her money and privilege and power. And I feel like her as someone that writes all her own music, which is also really unique to be at a pop star at this caliber. They usually have a full staff, a team of writers, and then they pick the best songs. Taylor insists on writing all her own music. The first thing about being canceled within an inch of her life and sanity I take umbrage with because she is referring to the Kim Kardashian, Kanye West cancellation debacle where he released a song famous off of the life of Pablo album and name checked her in it in a way that doesn't, I would say respect her full womanhood and identity in the way that she wanted or hoped. And she came out publicly against it and then Kim Kardashian also publicly leaked a phone call basically saying that Taylor knew about the song. They had gone about asking her permission before she was name checked and she was aware the whole time it was actually supportive even. And it people cried white woman tears. I think there's also context for that. She was already facing accusations of white woman tears prior. So it really, it really bow tied a lot of people's public opinion in general. I mean, she was really overexposed at this point. Her friends were all hot models that she brought out at every show. She looks like the head cheerleader. And I think that that doesn't resonate with people. And then for her to turn around when this happened with Kanye and not laugh it off, but be like really personally offended. Like, look, obviously no one wants to be like called a bitch or have someone else taking ownership for your achievements. But it's fucking Kanye. Like you just yeah. like, reply on Twitter with like a lol. 
And that's enough. People know. Kanye did not make you famous. History isn't being rewritten right now. Exactly. And Kanye is a problematic man in his own right. So he's famous for this. He's totally incendiary. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think it could have gone a different way. And I think her youth really showed through here in her response. Absolutely. And it reminds me a little bit like you talking about how in touch she is with her her youth, with her high school times. There's a part of me that thinks she still feels like the middle schooler who was like abandoned at the mall and has to always prove that she is popular and fun and exciting to be around. Whereas like, we know that to be true. No. And I also think that there is like sort of a college freshman situation here in, it is very exciting to discover feminism, very exciting. And to learn some of the language and lingo around it, you feel sort of that you're the first to come to it. And the problem therein lies when you present yourself as the first to come to it. Yeah. And you just sound dumb where it's, to learn the word patriarchy and I think regurgitated and co- like in a regular conversation is always a little bit tough for me. You can hear that it's new on the tongue. I'm pro. Everyone learn, read, enjoy, use it. Be the college freshman. I had to go through that. Everyone has to go through it of like, I stand against injustice. But then don't pretend like you've invented it in some way or like try to present yourself as an activist of the people, a grassroots movement shaker, mover. Well, there's a lot of this uniquely affects me. Like yeah. I am alone in, in how much I am victimized by the patriarchy. And like, sometimes you got to step back and be like, okay, that guy's just a dick. Like, yeah. Reply with something dismissive and you have totally undermined his power. Instead, she's kind of let it define her. And my issue with that getting canceled within the inch of my life insanity is that Harvey Weinstein got canceled within an inch of his life insanity. Louis C.K. got canceled within an inch of his life insanity in a way that's like, you can never come back from this. Louis C.K. is actively selling out shows right I now. Know, I know, I know. They're not supposed to come back. It, that's not how. That's not the plan. R. Yeah. Kelly is never coming back. No, R, yeah, R. Kelly is a great example. Like taken off all of the playlists. We hear ignition. We want to throw up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I agree. I agree. And I think that context is key here because they go on to talk about it more and more. Exactly. So at this point, Taylor is showing him around her apartment and he notices that she has a real connection to her family and like every square inch of this apartment, there's something there. There's a photo of her grandmother, Marjorie, who was an opera singer and was the inspiration for a track on Evermore. And he gets a little bit into her background. Obviously, as we know, she grew up in a tr- Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania she has a younger brother and um, her dad, Scott, was a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch and her mom worked in marketing and they still work with her today and joke that they're a part of a family business, which I think is so interesting because it's clear that so much of her success can be credited to the parents. Imagine you have a financial wizard at your fingertips and a marketing genius and those are your parents. And it's like, there's no... There's no way with it, you know, throw in the talent and the looks of Taylor Swift, like 
my God, you are coming out on top regardless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like a little, like a, a comfortable family background oh, yeah. where you just like have enough money to buy a ticket to Nashville if need be. Family Amazing. Move to Nashville. Yeah. And so he gets into her Nashville shift. Um, her songwriting ability was evident from Tim McGraw, which was her debut single and a very smart marketing ploy because Taylor Swift instantly became synonymous with one of the biggest country music acts of all time. It's, it's brilliant. So brilliant. It's brilliant. Especially for what a 16 year old like. And at this moment, she was really full Southern accent country girl clacking along with the spurs like she really was nashville through and through at this moment which is so funny i do wish she would like bring back her country accent just for a summer just for a little something like i know maybe she should do just another country album for a bit of fun yeah but it was around the time after she'd had a couple of big country albums and then she was interrupted by kanye west at the 2009 vma she was the first country artist to win a vma by the way that she started to shapeshift. She realized in that moment, every record label was actively trying to replace her. I thought instead I'd replace myself first with a new me. Brilliant. The ambition, like it is unquenchable. She is constantly moving with the shifting goalposts to make sure that she is at top tier at every point in time. She's so much smarter, I think, that people give her credit for also. And that's she knows she, what's going on. And that's why I think she's fully now in her reclamation era of the word calculated. Remember in our first profile we did of her, she just absolutely bristled at being called calculated. And now she's like, I think it's the biggest compliment. I am fucking calculated. I'm strategic. I'm always five steps ahead of you. And what? And so she starts really deploying her superpower as a song as a songwriter um specifically in 2012's red um which has all these easter eggs and secret messages and hidden moments much like harley simon's like you're so vain which is about warren Beatty. everything became an experiential puzzle for fans to solve phoebe bridges says she's like a whole room of writers as one person with that voice and charisma she's everything at once and here I think is where it gets the most interesting. So Taylor's talking about how she has to keep innovating. And she says, by the time an artist is mature enough to psychologically deal with the job, they throw you out at 29, which is my age. And I feel like nobody's throwing you out. Not on my watch. <laughs> I'm throwing myself out. <laughs> you and I leaving music, leaving music. <laughs> oh my God. Leaving media, baby. I think I'm, I know. I know. And it's funny because we have finally come into, like, we are psychologically equipped to deal with the job. And now we're like, I don't know if I love Why the would job. anyone want to do this? Uh, yeah. I don't know if I love the job. Do I like the job? But she talks about in the 90s and early 2000s, the music industry was just like, okay, let's take a bunch of teenagers, throw them into a fire and watch what happens. By the time they've accumulated enough wisdom to do their job effectively, we'll find new teenagers. And that was that was the strategy of the music industry for so long. Like just like burning through lives. Burning through lives. Britney Spears, she was 26 when she shaved her head. You know, it, yeah. That's she was burnt out as someone who'd started at 16. It's so like 10 years was the turnover. And when Taylor finally chose to go full throttle pop for 1989 and 2014, 
that's what really put her on top of the world. An imperial phase, she calls it. She didn't realize, though, in that moment that being on top would give her so much further to fall. Public sentiment turned, sniping about everything from her perceived overexposure to conspiracy theories about her politics. I had all the hyenas climb on and take their shots, she says. Also, a real mixed metaphor there. Hyenas with a hyenas gun. with guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Jesus Christ! Kim obviously released the video of the conversation that uh, Kanye and Taylor had had that seemed to indicate that Taylor was on board with the song "Famous," and the whole thing was tabloid catnip. She felt like in that moment it was a career death. She says, "Make no mistake." My career was taken away from me. I'm just, I'm just pausing to look at your face. And this is where people took issue with this profile because she is sort of allowed to say this without pushback or impunity. And the writer himself sort of is like, I heard this. And I was like, wait, but Taylor, you were still extremely popular and still had a really supportive fan base and you were still selling music and, in and ample numbers stadiums yes and then he was like but it's not really my place to ask she felt as though her career was taken away from her and that's what she's trying to communicate here and this is where twitter and journalists sort of rose from the floor to say like you were actually the only person who could have asked her or pushed back or tried to get to the bottom of this because as journalists, we have sort of unprecedented access, access that the regular people don't get. And there is, some would say, a responsibility there to get to the heart of the story, to get the full truth, not just the perceived truth or the convenient truth. And that didn't really happen here. And I'm not criticizing one way or another I think I would have loved if he pushed back a little bit more, but I understand why he wouldn't out of fear. Truly. Yeah. This is probably the most sensitive subject matter for Taylor in the whole piece. With it, you're sitting with the most powerful woman in the world talking about the darkest period of your life. Like who are you to question her truth? And that's where he's coming from. Yeah. And I mean, how scared would you be that access would be just immediately taken away of like, okay, well, that's done. If you're going to try to write a hit piece, then I'm not interested in talking anymore. And good luck with your big time story. And that's and for that reason, there is no pushback anymore on anything. Yeah. Because you cannot take the risk. He's got to come through with 7,000 words and he can't afford for her to turn off the tap when it comes to access. No. So instead, what he gets are, I think, some more behind the scenes in this period of life, which for many, they regard as sort of Taylor's dark period, where she says that experience with Kim and Kanye, took me down psychologically to a place I've never been before. I moved to a foreign country. I didn't leave a rental house for a year. I was afraid to get on phone calls. I pushed away most people in my life because I didn't trust anyone anymore. I went down really, really hard. Yeah, and she said, I thought that moment of backlash was going to define me negatively for the rest of my life. I do have to just call out her quote here, which is when she is referring to the whole situado with Kim and Kanye. And she says, you have a fully manufactured frame job and an illegally recorded phone call, which Kim Kardashian edited and then put out to, to say to everyone that I was a liar. There's something about the Kim Kardashian, which I find so perfect. It's not Kim. It's not someone edited and put out. It's the full name. It's Kimberly Noel Kardashian, referenced with such specificity. 
which I think is very telling in the sense of like, oh, she's coming for the throats these days. Like also the idea that Kim Kardashian is on premiere editing down the phone call and like putting out the audio, like Kim Kardashian herself, like unclipping her nails to get on the computer to edit it. I wouldn't put a pasta. <laughs> She's I like, I want it done right. I want yeah. it done right. No, I it's it's the Kim Kardashian, which I find so compelling in all of this. Like for me to be like, you have a fully manufactured frame job and Ivana Ryder. <laughs> it's a choice. And a hyena I, with a gun. Say hello to my little friend. But I, I don't know if there's a reconciliation in the future now after this, because that really... Mm-mm. Everyone then took to Kim Kardashian's Instagram and started commenting the snakes, the full, it was a full circle moment. And it has been how many years? How many years? 10. Yeah. Literally. Right? 10. Almost 10. That's wild. Middle school drama held on to. And there's one more thing I want to address while I'm on. (laughs) I'm I'm on, I'm on my soapbox now and you're not pulling me off. Do you remember in the last Taylor Swift profile that we did, she talks about going to the mall and there were all her friends there that she'd invited to the mall that chose to go without her, said they were busy and then went to the mall without her. And I thought this was a one-off story, like cute for GQ. She has talked about this in so many different profiles on so many songs, going to the mall and seeing your friends there without you. It was a, a pivotal watershed event in her life as was this like Kim and Kanye thing. And it's so interesting. The stab wound is still, it's still there for her. It's one thing to like let an event like that inform you about who someone is like, oh, I don't need to be around them anymore. I think I'm good. But it's another thing for that to like define you as who you are. And that is what these events do for Taylor. They completely define her. I also definitely had moments like that. I just had bigger things to deal with. Like there were more urgent issues more pressing issues at the time that like I didn't have the luxury to be like no my friends at the mall without me it's like who has who has time to go to the mall I'm cooking for a family right now that is maybe what's missing here is like a little bit of perspective like at what point do you let it go at what point do you drop the Kim Kardashian and just be like yeah that was a really tough time but honestly Everyone was doing the best they could with the information they had. Like, I didn't know how to handle mm-hmm. that. And I, I kind of regret how I handled it. Like, I kind of went a little bit psycho. Um, well, I think that everyone, her being a storyteller, she is aware acutely that she does not have a story like 50 Cent, per se. She's not fought at tooth and nail for everything. She's and taken nine bullets to the chest. No, she hasn't. If she did, we would all drop dead because that would be the most insane story in the world. Imagine 50 Cent reading this, the hyenas with guns. He's, He's like, like yeah, sure. Guns. Yeah, sure. And this is the thing. And I don't mean this to be, I don't ever want this to come across as like trauma, like comparing trauma or that, no. you know, the middle school friendship breakups were not devastating because they are, they are sort of, they are real monumental moments in the time. But it's what you said before. It's the perspective and the understanding that, Right now, which I think that this profile has also been accused of, is just being tone deaf for the moment that we're in right now, the political world as it is right now, the global death and everything. To name Taylor Swift person of the year, for Taylor Swift to be talking about her middle school experiences of being left out, feminism, the Barbie movie, it's all of these things together feel like they ignore a larger reality that most people 
are experiencing and much more acutely aware of than they are with Taylor Swift's reality of the world. That's and it is clear that she's grown, but I don't know. I again, I think there's all there's just a chicer way, dare I say, it's almost like the styling. Yeah. It's almost like her day-to-day street style. There's a chicer way and it's right there. It's so close. You just got to reach out and take it. And you have all, all the resources to do so. Access to the best therapist in the world, you know, access to the best stylist in the world. Like there's, there's so much at your disposal to become like the, the most actualized version of yourself. And I think to say Kim Kardashian shows that like, Maybe the growth isn't there to the degree that we thought. I don't know. I don't know. And I also think it's really hard because as much as I can say she's not in touch with our reality as regular people, I also think that we have no idea what her reality looks like. No idea. No sense at all how she feels on a day to day. No. And exactly right. And I think that is why people say that um, that famous kids get stunted at that age because when you have cameras trained on you at all times, you don't get the freedom to be, to have that kind of growth. Like you actually just don't get the freedom to, to develop that perspective. So, I mean, for all our comments of like, we would do things differently. It's like, who's to say who truly who's to say if we were undergoing the same type of day-to-day life. But um, before we get too deep into this, we're, we're already at Scooter Braun. Oh so, yeah, here we are. I mean, the second. This is the second hit job of this piece. So she's like, with the scooter thing again, feels interesting in a media trained world where people are very careful about what they say. That she is calling out scooter by name. With the scooter thing, my masters were being sold to someone who actively wanted them for nefarious reasons. In my opinion. The sale meant that the rights of Swift's first six albums moved to Braun. So whenever someone wanted to license one of those songs, he would be the one to profit. Swift's rallied her fans against the deal, but still felt powerless. I was so knocked on my ass by the sale of my music and to whom it was sold. I was like, oh, they got me beat now. This is it. I don't know what to do. She went back to work using the pandemic lockdown to pair back her sound on the critically acclaimed albums, Folklore and Evermore. And then she started re-recording so kelly clarkson gave her the advice and then her dad also kept saying to her you should do it now here's what i find interesting her dad when she signed to big machine records bought stock in the record label which means there is no part of that deal that he wouldn't be involved in even if he probably recused himself he would know that a sale like this of Taylor's music of Big Machine in general's catalog would be happening. If I was to be, if I was to put my full conspiratorial hat on, Nancy Drew, tinfoil hat, he would have profited majorly from the sale of her music. And then if she was to hypothetically go and re-record, she would also profit, which means it's a two-end deal. Double um, paycheck. Double paycheck. So this is, I only only found this interesting because obviously we all know that he bought into Big Machine. Like that was, that's public knowledge. My dad kept saying it to me too, was interesting. To me, it could have been left at Kelly Clarkson. Like I kind of don't care about her dad, you know? Like I'm like, okay, cool. Like my parents give me advice all the time. But saying my dad wanted me to do it too. I'm like, 
Mm. What did dad get out of this? Either way, she would have gotten a heads up for sure that this deal was happening. And I'm just, I'm just wondering how that manifested. I love when you put your tin hat on. I love you in the tin hat. My little hat's on. It suits you. Brings out your eyes. <laughs> interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah. The Taylor's version albums have done unbelievably well. And everyone is obsessed with them. I mean, speaking of tin hats, people are full yarn on the wall trying to figure out when they're coming out, what's coming out next, what's due. Yeah. Are there going to be bonus tracks? Yep. I mean, she's reframed this whole thing as like a coping mechanism. So she was like, I was dealing with loss and I ex- respond to pain with defiance, which I get. I mean, I respond to pain with baked goods. So um, how do I respond to pain? I don't know. I guess just ignoring it. Yeah, you <laughs> I just really don't respond to pain. No, I just refuse. You, you put the smile on. And you say, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful. That's actually, that is something that my mom would say to us all the time as kids. She was like, love the pain, embrace the pain. Like, you're lucky. Like, I'm, which like, it feels like a- ends of her. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's a really hardcore lesson. It's a very metal using uh, Taylor's (laughs) jargon. Stop. We haven't (laughs) even got to metal yet. We're not even up to metal yet. No, the Horcruxes, we haven't found them. We have yet to locate them within the (laughs) the fields of this piece. But it has been like, you cannot discount the fact that the Taylor's versions have been a huge undertaking and how much work they have been. So Lucian Grange, Universal CEO, is like trying to put it into perspective in the sense of imagine... Picasso painting something that he painted a few years ago, then recreating it with the colors of today, which I think is actually a fair comparison. It would be so tough to go through and make sure that every note, every beat is hit perfectly. Every inflection tonality is there. She says, if you look at what I've put out since then, it's more albums in the last few years than I did in the first 15 years of my career. Lucian Grange says she could serve two terms as president of the United States and then go to Las Vegas. And who else can do that? True. Have you heard the theories that Kim might run for president? No, I have not heard that. Yeah. That's why she's gone to law school. Oh, that like 2034 ticket is Taylor Swift v. Kim Kardashian. Oh, I mean, Republican and Democrat. That feels like a, Greek tragedy in its nature. Wait, what are we talking about? Oh, Picasso. I like the quote where she says, nothing is permanent, so I'm careful to be grateful every second. So he references the fact that Braun was dumped by his key clients. And obviously now Kanye has lost all his endorsement deals. Like a lot of people have gone down in the years that she has been active. And that's why she says nothing is permanent. She was like, I've had it taken away from me before. And there's one thing that I've learned. My response to anything that happens, good or bad, is to keep making things, keep making art. But I've also learned there's no point in actively trying to quote unquote defeat your enemies. Trash takes itself out every single time. <gasps> yeah, that's that's more than she usually gives. She's the hyena with the gun. I think she's like pulling out the bazooka in this piece. Unchallenged, which is perfect. We jump forward a little bit. I mean, he goes to her Grove premiere. The Grove. <laughs> Which we love, famously. Some mall just down the street. She, and um, he meets a couple of, like, Swifties there who are obviously obsessed. Madison, 20-year-old, says it's insane when she's under endless scrutiny that she is still so open. And um, 
when Sam asks Madison what he, she thinks about Swift's romantic life, she says it's a disservice to her to focus on that stuff. She's so Whew. good. I know. She's so good at making her personal experience relate to millions of people. When I listen to her songs, I think about what I've been through, not what she's been through, which I disagree. I think about what she's been through. I really do think like listening to All Too Well, I'm really like Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I do. And I think that's the law. I think that's what makes it exciting. No, I've never dated an A-list actor and met his like A-list actor sister. And being in the bathroom crying while Anne Hathaway comes and asks me what's wrong. Yeah. This is all speculation, obviously. But Obviously. obviously. But it's also true. <laughs> Sam kind of calls out this, uh, this comment from Madison because he's like, well, actually, like, Taylor's life and private life has often served as both the grist for the tabloid mill, but also inspiration for her own work. So you cannot extricate the two. Her private life is her public life and vice versa. It is all connected. And so he talks about and doesn't give a lot of time to, might I add, um, her breaking up with her long-term boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, mm-hmm. which feels like it was off limits because that was a six-year relationship. Yeah, I think it was off limits for sure. I think so, yeah. But she is ready to get into Travis Kelsey. It's, it's been well documented that she, you know, attends his games, but she's also sensitive to the attention that's put on her when she shows up. She says, I'm just there to support Travis. I have no awareness of it. And I'm being shown too much and pissing off a few dads, brads and chads. Yeah, that's her official line. Very neat and orderly to be like, I had no idea. I'm sorry. I'm just there to love my boyfriend. So convenient that the chief's color is red. I know. Us in our sweaters. It's a little on the nose to be talking about all of this. (laughs) I know. It's classic. The relationship is obviously very public. And when Sam brings it up, he notes that Taylor gently pushes back. She says, this all started when Travis very adorably put me on his podcast which I thought was metal as hell. Cool. <laughs> Love it. Me- yeah, metal, I just don't know. I don't know. Have you ever heard a friend say metal? Like, you no, know, it was such a metal. It was a metal time. It was metal as hell. I have heard it here and there, but I have also friends that listen to, like, metal music. So it's usually sort of more literal than that. She's just wearing a normal person costume. The fact that this all this whole romance derived from a podcast, I do think is metal as hell. Thanks for talking about our medium. She kind of clarifies that they had been hanging out a lot prior to her attending games. She was like, I would never be psychotic enough to hard launch a first date at a Chiefs game. And I, again, the use of hard launch here, I'm like, it feels like this is not you. It's not technically incorrect. No, it's, it's not. just like when you can tell that someone has gone in and thesaurus all the words, just replace them with bigger words. And you're sort of like, you're, it's all technically correct, but the sentence reads strangely. No, it feels like a focus group has given yes. her the keywords that connect with young people today. And they're like, see if you can incorporate it somehow in yeah. one of your sentences, in one of the quotes. But she says, when you say a relationship is in the public eye, it just means that I'm going to go see him do what he loves. We're showing up for each other and other people are there and we don't care. The opposite is that you have to go to an extreme amount of effort to make sure no one knows you're seeing someone. And we're just proud of each other. Which has been a lot of the critique of her and Joe Alwyn's relationship was that he was really not into the public eye aspect of Taylor's life. And it all was going okay while they were sort of hidden away in London together. Yeah, and really strange that that would coincide with not only her cancellation 
in quotation marks, but also the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it kept that relationship going for longer than it would otherwise, but it is strange that there was so much isolation built into that time period. Yeah. And here's we've arrived at Bobby. Mm-hmm. Taylor loved Bobby. She no really, surprises. No surprises there. She says, to make a fun, entertaining blast of a movie with that commentary, I cannot imagine how hard that was. And Greta made it look so easy. And then Greta Gerwig responds, I'm just a sucker for a gal who is good with words and she is the best with them. Yeah. She loves Barbie. She loves female empowerment. She wants to take down the patriarchy. And we also get in this moment a little bit uh, into Beyonce who she's a big fan of. She thinks she's so warm and open and funny. And she also is very vexed by how many times the two have been compared in their stadium tours over the past year. Now, she says this is the patriarchy at work. She says it's clearly very lucrative for the media and stand culture to pit two women against each other, even when those two artists in question refuse to participate in that discussion. I would argue that these are simply the two biggest celebrities on the planet with the two biggest, most successful tours in the world. And to not compare them or not put them in the same sentence feels like a disservice to both artists because it's like, we've got two of the biggest celebrities taking the stage with the most insane productions that we've ever seen in the history of pop music. We're not saying Taylor Swift and fucking... Harry Styles. Yeah. And the Federal Reserve is like they're boosting the economy in the cities that they're playing, which is not happening where Hozier's going, even though he's touring right now. Bless him, sweetheart. Hozier. He's not affecting a local economy. No, I don't think Hozier is. Is it Hozier or Hosier? I don't know. I, 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 I think it can't be Hosier. I can't. <laughs> I said Hosier. You have you should keep saying that, but I don't think that I don't think that's how he would introduce himself. I'm, okay, I'm doubling down. I don't think Jose is taking people to church to seismic levels where he's literally causing earthquakes in the city of Seattle with yeah. a stampede of fans. That is what Taylor Swift is doing. The mm-hmm. Beyonce bump is credited in fucking Sweden for literally boosting the economy to a point of inflation. Jose Jose can't I'm sorry he's not there that's why we're not talking about the three of them in the same breath exactly so she feels like all this is an inflection point and that we have to speak stereotypically about the feminine and the masculine and blah 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 like uh, I don't know if I can even be bothered with this I know I I also like my eyes are closing (sighs) oh she says Okay, let's play it out. Yeah, yeah. It's girlhood, feelings, love, breakups, analyzing those feelings, talking about them nonstop, glitter, sequins. We've been taught that these things are more frivolous than the things that are stereotypically gendered male and that men gravitate towards, right? Sam says, right. She goes, (laughs) and what has existed since the dawn of time? A patriarchal society. What fuels a patriarchal society? Money, flow of revenue, the economy. (laughs) <laughs> three, three synonyms money money yeah. money cash, money dollar bills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so money cash and dollar bills are my values 
That's what fuels me. So actually, if we're going to look at this in the most cynical way possible, feminine ideas becoming lucrative means that more female art will get made. It's extremely heartening. True. Um, yeah. Nothing Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's that on that. That is feminism through money, cash, and dollar bills. And um, over the years, she's also learned to deal with just the public fascination surrounding her in general. If you've noticed a lot of paparazzi pics of her recently, that is because she has stopped caring. She has learned that uh, over the years, she doesn't have the time or bandwidth to get pressed about things that don't matter. Yes, if I go out to dinner, there's going to be a whole chaotic situation outside the restaurant. I still want to go out to dinner with my friends. Life is short. Have adventures. Me locking myself away in the house for a lot of years. I'll never get that time back. I'm more trusting now than I was six years ago. And that, I think, is a really beautiful take because, my God, she really hid for so long. And I can't imagine spending my entire latter half of my 20s, like, getting pulled out of my suitcase in a trunk. Yeah, she's, like, arriving to venues inside of a janitor's crate. She did do that, right? I didn't make Yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is fucking bonkers so it's like no one will see her until she steps on stage it was her new york like tribeca apartment but it was like, right like a car to the front door she was getting taken in with like, a suitcase a human size <laughs> it almost feels like when you run away from home you don't want to be there but you also want everyone obsessed over whether or not you have like run away it yes feels like that i want to gone girl yeah. yeah it's like is she in the suitcase or isn't she yeah like, we're going to be talking about it i mean like spending that much time in the home cannot be good for one's mental health so i'm no. glad she is going to dinner like frankly it's yeah me too i'm, I'm so glad me too so we jump a little bit now to her reputation era we're at the horcruxes now because this was her reemerging into society of like taking back the snake identity that was put upon her. You using the Horcruxes as a through line for the Seven Thousand Word <laughs> Profile is the funniest. Thing. Well, to me, it's it feels sort of like the denouement is the Horcruxes. It's like once we've reached that, we're sort of on a little slip and slide to the end. The hardest is behind us. Yeah. So- She's talking about reputation. She says that it's a goth punk moment of female rage at being gaslit by an entire social structure. Metal as hell. Yeah. Another kind of Mad Lib (laughs) style sentence. Freestyling. She's actually freestyling. She's like, the metal in the social structure, the entirety of the female rage is being gaslit against the society and the patriarchy. And this is where I think that Sam has to know because he says, the upcoming vault tracks for reputation will be fire, in quotation marks, she promises. (laughs) He knows, he knows, it's not normal. And then she says, the recordings project feels like a mythical quest to her. I'm collecting horcruxes, she says. I'm collecting infinity stones. Gandalf's voice is in my head every time I put out a new one. For me, it is a movie now. And let's just sit with that for a minute. Gandalf's voice is in my head every time I put out a new one. Gandalf (laughs) the gray, Gandalf the white. Depends on the day. You're a wizard, Harry. It's all coming to me now. No, Ron. (laughs) Not me. Not me. (laughs) 
us stepping up to the millennial plate with our bath. <laughs> what should Hogwarts house are you in? Let's just go for it. <laughs> Wait, did you say they asked Jacob Elordi that on the red carpet? No, what did and he say? He said the one Robert Pattinson is in because he's cool. Gotta be the most like Gen Z answer. To yeah, that is. It's like, I don't really know what you're talking about, but sure. So the vault tracks of reputation will be fire, she says. So that is good to know. And we're in the home stretch. I mean, yeah. he's talking about that. It's kind of like a screwball comedy now, just like how popular she's become when, like we spoke about, the crowd in Seattle cheered so loudly it registered as an earthquake. Or when she was in Brazil, the local archdiocese allowed messages celebrating Taylor to be projected onto the 124-foot statue of Christ the Redeemer. And uh, he says she's a maestro of self-determination, of writing her own story. The multi-hyphenate television creator Shonda Rhimes, no stranger to a plot twist, has also known Swift since she was a teenager and puts it simply. She controls narrative not only in her work, but in her life. It used to feel like people were taking shots at her. Now it feels like she's providing the narrative, so there aren't any shots to be taken. Yeah, she's impenetrable at this point. I mean, every time she steps out in a little tweed miniskirt and an ankle booty, we're watching. And Sam says that that's exactly what she wants. I mean, Taylor has told him a story about redemption, about rising and falling to rise again, a hero's journey. And he says, you know, like, I, who am I to question it? It's true. She felt canceled and she has come back. And it was her heart that broke. And she has been, as a result, able to control every aspect of her life. She's learned how to do that. Fab. He works in some of her most iconic lines, including her song Mastermind. And uh, he pulls out a particularly poignant stanza. No one wanted to play with me as a little kid. So I've been scheming like a criminal ever since to make them love me and make it seem effortless. This is the first time I've ever felt the need to confess. I swear I'm only cryptic and Machiavellian because I care. So, I mean, everyone has a villain origin story and hers was the Victoria's Secret at the mall in Pennsylvania. As much as we're kind of poking fun at it. I mean, yeah, definitely. That kind of thing can inform you for the rest of your life in one way or another. And then just how you identify from here on out. Um. Yeah. But she says this is why she's embraced the term calculated. It's been thrown at her as a dagger and now it's a compliment. And Sam writes that it is a compliment. He can't stop thinking about how perfectly she's crafted the story for him. It's the one about redemption, how she lost it all and got it back. Storytelling is always what she's done. And that's why Kenny Chesney, the country star reference in the first paragraph, tells Sam that he gave her that gift all those years ago. She was a writer who had something to say. That isn't something you can fake by writing cliches. You can only live it, then write it as real as possible. We've reached the end. We've reached reached the the end. end. You know, all the toss-off details, all the Easter eggs she embeds, all the lessons of generosity and how a crushing defeat can give way to great surprise and gift. The way she said, are you not entertained? He writes, surely we both knew it was a, a quote from Gladiator. A movie in which a hero falls from grace is forced to perform blood sport for the pleasure of spectators and emerges victorious, having survived humiliation and debasement to soar higher than ever. And the way before I left, Sam writes, she showed me a note from Paul McCartney hanging in her bathroom, which has a Beatles lyric written on it and not just any Beatles lyric, but this one. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. 
What a beautiful closing paragraph. My hat's off to Sam. What he did just there is magic. It ties it all together. Beginning, middle, end. Kenny Chesney, the gladiator moment I have you not entertained. The fact that, and we didn't even mention it, but she has Paul McCartney gifts throughout her apartment that she has overcome again and again to soar higher than anyone else to on the planet, to reach God-like heights, her Jesus year at 33, being projected onto Christ the Redeemer in Brazil. I mean, it's it's all too much. It's all too much. It's like, it really is so perfect. And you can see why 2023 was her year. Truly the only person I know that had that experience. We had an okay 2023. The last couple months were... It was the fall. The fall brought downfall. But the beginning, electric. Did yeah. so much. Had so much fun. I, I mean, this was... I've never had more fun than I've had this year. That's maybe the same for her. She was talking about how it's like performing has been fun. This has actually been fun. And she's reclaiming. Do you have a word for 2024? Oh, no, but I love that. I really love that. I want to think about... Oh, such a good question. I don't have one yet. Honestly, I think because the last couple months took so much out of me, it's been hard to do my usual thing, which is to circle back on the accomplishments and really nail down what this year can look like. I feel like a, a lot of people are in the same place. The the fire and the drive is not there in the same way, I think, because we're experiencing at long last, like the hangover of the pandemic. It really feels like that. My ambition has ebbed in a big way. And it's kind of been replaced by a real nonchalance. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm also staring down like an absolutely massive year. Two weddings. It feels very cosmic and intentional that I'm like forced to sit in quiet. I'm in repose right now so that I can really, I don't know, be thoughtful. I feel like maybe my word of the year is thoughtfulness. Like I just want to go about all these things really thoughtfully. And I really want to be present. And I think... I can I have a tendency to really embrace chaos and love chaos but I find that when you live like that you remember way less and things are less meaningful and it doesn't matter what you're accomplishing or the huge moments because when you're completely entrenched in chaos everything kind of feels the same. Yeah. And I would like to just be like very thoughtful and very present and like really arrive to all the all the big moments and changes like fully there all there seeing it all with mine eyes you and i also have a tendency to make experiences to, honestly the taylor swift effect of making experiences feel like a part of a larger narrative that it's all for the plot ultimately yeah and i even found that with the abortion it, there was there was a tendency for me in that moment to be like well this is one more experience I've had. This is one more to tick off and having to sit with and deal with the fact that they, this actually isn't for the plot. Like this is, no. this is something that's happened that I'm going to have to actively like live with, recover from. And that was, that hit me like a ton of bricks because I've lived so experientially for so long. Like how do I make my life harder or choose the more like difficult path for the nature, for the story to have the better story. And yeah, I, I, that came to a reckoning for me at the end of this year, I think. Maybe the word is ease because you and I big time are always picking the harder path. We're like, how can I make this the most intense, the most brutal? How can I take on the most responsibility when I don't need to? How can I? Why are we bringing baked Alaskas to dinner parties? Why do we do that? Why did I just set this cocktail on fire 
for the two people at my house who have just swung by. <laughs> just ask someone else to bring a bottle of wine and then provide the glasses. Like we need to embrace some ease, I think, in the coming year. If there's anything the last the the grand finale of 2023 has taught us, it's that there's no muscling through in a long-term way. And reflecting on my 2023 goals, I wrote the most insane things in one word. It would be like podcast. That was it. You know, like do it, you know? Yeah. And it's painting twice a week, journal every day. Like it was like- Write a book, really, write a yeah, book. <laughs> write a book, insane, like insurmountable type of goals. And yeah, I think learning to sit with and appreciate and like learning, I think for me, it's honestly going to be a lot of like coming to terms with who I am and- um, yeah. And connecting probably with in a child, connecting with the middle school left of Victoria's Secret, like finding that person. And as I step into a new decade, I mean, yeah, I'm turning 30 this year. I think it's going to be good. I think we're both going to have big years. But I mean, I, I've learned a lot about Taylor from this. I do you feel closer to her as a result. I'm curious. I do. I do feel like I I learned I learned more about how her mind works and where she was the years where she wasn't in the public eye and what that all meant to her and whether I like what it meant to her or not doesn't really matter. It seems like because she's in control of her own story and she's told it really well here. Yeah. A lot has been clarified to me in the sense of like who she is and how she's got to this point and how she feels the way she is. Also like watching Miss Americana helped a lot as well and putting these two together I mean seeing her at that stage at 29 and I mean she talks about it like she was like I'm being like forced into adulthood like I don't feel like I'm there yet I think like her producer makes a comment to her in the documentary of like yeah but you kind of just you kind of just get along like you just kind of do it and she's like no like my next five years is planned for me Mm. and I think that lack of autonomy and spontaneity has been really tough on her and now it feels like she's embracing that more than ever like she's taking the the bad with the good when it comes to her relationships, her publicity, her style. It's a valuable lesson. And I think one that only comes with aging is like that caring less what the external world thinks of you and how everyone will get it wrong. Usually even close friends, like you can't control everything. And I hope that's a lesson that I continue to internalize for the rest of my days. Maybe that's it for 2024, letting go letting go love that if anyone has a great word send it in please um we'd love to hear your words for 2024 also any questions in general that you want answered with regards to what we do or pop culture or what we don't do anything that you want to get off your chest we're here to talk listen and answer my final question how much does this make you want to interview taylor yeah i don't i think i'm good i think i i I don't think her story needs to be told beyond this. No. Yeah, I think I'm good. I think we've heard enough. (laughs) I also think she's teetering dangerously on the same precipice she was at around 1989. I wonder what 2024 will bring for Taylor. I I make an amendment. I would like to do the profile if she decides to come out publicly As as gay and give all the details sort of Evelyn Hugo style about her sorted love affair with Carly Kloss. I'd love to tell that story. And you'll have it. <laughs> I'll have it. That's my next assignment. <laughs> Get tree pain on the line. Taylor's famous publicist. And she knows. Yeah. Wanda Ryder is the one you'll be, you'll be contacting for that little. Nugget. Yeah. Feel free. I'm here. I'm around. It's just been so good to be back with you. My oh God. my God. 
Oh my and God. I love you so much. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you. And I love how I goes. You keep us afloat. You give us life. You keep um, us young. But we love you. And we hope you enjoy Taylor. Take two, baby. She's a, she's a behemoth of a journey. So thanks for coming along with us. 2024, the arc of redemption for all of us. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> okay. <gasps> Miss you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Uncover Girl is lovingly crafted by Beatrice Hazelhurst and Ivana Ryder. If you want to get even deeper under the covers with us, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash uncovergirl or follow us on Instagram at uncovergirlpodcast. Rate Uncover Girl, write us a review and share your favorite episode, Shawn Mendes, Rolling Stone 2018, anyone? And we will be your forever fans. Love you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.